Professors FM. Doug, as you know, we have joined the Professors FM podcast network. So it's extremely exciting. It's like for the first time in my life, I'm going to have academic friends. This is big. And as part of this, we're going to talk about some of the other shows on the network. One of the things we talk a lot about in terms of sports analytics is the role of incentives, right? It's all about incentives. And so one of the other shows on the network is called Taxes for the Masses, brought to you by Lisa DeSimone from the University of Texas and Bridget Stomberg from Indiana University. And so what these two ladies do is they dive into all things taxes. I think it's a great compliment to what we do. In some ways, there's nothing bigger in public policy than taxes in terms of shaping the economy and society because taxes change how people behave. So, you know, give it a listen. Great show. Analytics with Mike Lewis, the podcast where we talk about everything you need to know about sports analytics. Here's your host, Mike Lewis, marketing professor at Emory University. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the Fanalytics podcast brought to you by the Emory Marketing Analytics Center. My name is Mike Lewis. I am joined, as always, by Mr. Doug Battle. How are you today, Doug? I am well. College football's back. Um, maybe a little messy for a week one in the SEC, but I'm happy to have college football back. Obviously, the NBA moving into the finals, so that's exciting. And I mean, we've got all the sports right now, so I really I can't complain about anything. Yeah, it's uh, it's 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 probably too much. And you know, I want to put off college football because when you say college football is messy, college football is going to be a glorious mess that I mm. want to devote a lot of atten- attention to. I, uh, you know, being a, a lover of chaos in the world of sports, I, I, I love the fact that the Big Ten and the Pac-10 are going to start their season sort of whenever they feel like it. Like halfway <laughs> in the middle of everyone else's season. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be uh, it's going to be sort of a, a remarkable story to watch play out. And we already saw a little bit, right, with um, the entry of, I want to say, what did Ohio State enter the polls at six, I believe, and Oregon maybe in about the top ten, while the other yeah. schools have been playing for two, three weeks. So it's it, that's going to be great going forward. Yeah, I would expect Ohio State to jump up a little higher once they actually hit the football field. <laughs> but uh, who knows? By then, it's like everything could, could be shut down again. I mean, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you have a couple of games canceled in the Pac-10 from COVID, and you got a an undefeated team with, you know, five wins, talking about being in the uh, college football playoffs against right. a team with nine or ten nine wins in the SEC. Right? It's right. Uh, gonna be awesome. Yeah, I think it gives the advantage to the team uh, with with less wins because they have that many fewer games to have players get injured less film out there for the other team to break down. So it is interesting from a competitive standpoint how it may actually be advantageous to be in the Big Ten come playoff time if they let a team in, which I think they will. Um, And then another thing in college football this year is I'm kind of – I wish there was non-conference games because I feel like this year lends itself to upsets more so than any other year in football football there are far less upsets than say college basketball um 
But this year, there's such a like there's such an advantage in having returning players. So, I mean, I saw I watched a number of SEC teams that I, that could have lost to just about anybody this weekend, um, and that are thought of as powerhouse schools. But I mean, they're only playing each other for the most part, so we're not going to see too many upsets. But we are seeing an upset in the NBA just about for the first time ever with the Heat making the NBA Finals. Well, let's you know, let's let's frame this. Maybe the theme for today, or the theme for this week, or the theme for this season is going to be randomness, mm-hmm. uh, sort of a, a, a you know just a wild ride in terms of all the sports and competitive activities out there. And so you know, the college football is going to be absolutely crazy. And um, and in some ways, I think for the college football fan. To me, this is like hearkening back to uh, to an earlier era where you had more room for debate, right? Where yeah. you know, before we had the playoff, it was always you know the the undefeated Big Ten teams going out to the West Coast while the undefeated SEC team is playing in the Sugar Bowl, and, and so you had this endless debate that fans found let's say dissatisfying but may well have been very good for the sport. Um, and, and I think we're going to see that. Look, we, we, and so this is going to be a, a fun, this is going to be a fun season. But back to the NBA, I, I agree with you. It's like we've got the Lakers, and I know you, the, the, you know, the NBA often feels like there's uh, script writers or screenwriters behind the scenes. And with the Lakers making the championship, okay, we've we've got the hero in in place, and so now is who's going to be the antagonist? And I didn't see the. If you had asked me to predict, and I'll ask you, what would your prediction have been in the beginning of this? I would not have come up with the Heat. I would have come up with the Bucks, maybe the Celtics. Um, yeah. Not the Heat, though. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this at the beginning of the playoffs. Um, Bucks. Lakers was the story. Giannis versus LeBron, kind of the old guard versus the new guard, even though neither one of them are actually guards, was kind of the storyline it felt like the media was pushing and and that it was all leading up to. So honestly, it kind of a pleasant surprise that it didn't end up that way. But as soon as the Bucks went down, my immediate thought was, okay, Celtics, Lakers, they're going to try to renew that rivalry once again. Yeah. Can, and, can uh, I can I say something to you? It's almost the NBA's fault that it feels that way, though, right? I mean, you go back to the All Star Game where they got Team LeBron versus Team, team Giannis. Giannis, yeah, right. I mean, um, it, you know, they they don't do them. You know, when they they put so much emphasis on the stars, they don't do themselves a lot of favors in terms of, let's say, uh, keeping hope alive for the. Uh, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but for the the non marquee teams. Yeah, but I mean, I think that's what makes it fun for a team like Miami. It feels overlooked. And I mean, this team, they won, I don't know, 60% of their regular season games. So, I mean, they they were almost a, a bubble playoff team. And yet, here they are in the NBA Finals. This never happens in NBA basketball. In, in college basketball, yes, absolutely. You'll see a five seed or you'll see a 12 seed in the final. But the NBA has a seven-game series format, and, and that lends itself to the the overdog because because mm. um, they adjust, you know, even if they lose game one, there's a regression to the mean over the course of a series between a, a good team and a bad team, and ultimately the, the better team usually wins the series. So for a team like the Heat, a five-seed, a, a 60% win percentage team to make the NBA Finals is really 
um, historical. And while a lot of people are surprised, and I'm, I, you know, I wouldn't have picked the Heat in the NBA Finals. At the same time, this bubble format with no home crowd, no home court advantage, um, some of the, you know, a different environment, a different uh, schedule and, and preparation uh, protocol, I guess, kind of lends itself to upset. And maybe we should have seen something like this coming in this year's NBA playoffs. Now, look, it, it's great. I um, What do you think about the, the Heat roster? I've got, uh, you know, one of my, the, the Heat have one of my favorite players. I, I love Jimmy Butler. I, I love that kind of, you know, he might be one of the guys that sort of, a, let's call him an anti-analytics player in terms yeah. of what he brings to the, what he brings to the floor. And, and look, you can argue that he brings both positives and negatives. When it works, it's a huge positive. I think it can also tear a team apart. Yeah. Um, Jimmy's a guy that's, been looked at as a cancer really in recent years whether it was in uh minnesota or philadelphia or there's always been some kind of uh you know conflict of personality and i guess his leadership style as a competitor has, has rubbed some people the wrong way and has left fandoms it might be, thinking it might be too much i think yeah and i think it's left yeah. people thinking wow this guy's the re- reason our team isn't mm-hmm over the hump maybe it'll be addition by subtraction without him and then he goes to a heat team that nobody had on their radar um and you got to give pat riley credit he's assembled quite the team here i know like duncan robinson was undrafted free agent um tyler hero has been a heck of a rookie this year but even i mean i remember when they gave goran Dragic a, a max contract and people were kind of scratching their heads and, and kendrick nunn is is another rookie in there uh, Myers Leonard coming from Portland. I mean, they've got a very uh, hodgepodge roster that Pat Riley has assembled, apparently with with quite a bit of purpose and. Uh, okay, let me be a let me be a fanboy here for just a second. Yeah, I may be wrong about this, but I think they Myers Leonard and Kendrick Nunn are the only two players in the NBA with a fighting Illini background. So just. To- just a shout out to Champagne. Yeah, well, um, good for good for Illinois. <laughs> Sorry to derail. You guys, that. you guys are fighting for a, a championship this yeah. year in some form. Um, but I mean, obviously, Bam Adebayo has has really blossomed this year. But yeah, like I said, Pat Riley's assembled a a team that on paper one would look at like if someone was playing NBA 2K and was trying to pick the team they wanted to play with it probably wouldn't be the Miami Heat unless Jimmy Butler just happens to be your favorite player but even Jimmy Butler is kind of thought of as like a B-list NBA all-star yeah yeah it uh, you know I, I think that's fair it's um it's 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 an interesting one in terms of the analytics I mean so if we if we take a look at what I think is more or less the gold standard in terms of player evaluation. The the top guys on the Heat are um, Bam and, and Jimmy Butler with PERs of just above 20 versus if you look at the Lakers, you've got Anthony Davis over 30 and LeBron James right at about 30. Yeah. And so it does, it, it does appear that the, the Heat were – not constructed with analytics in mind, though. I mean, and, and look, this this goes back to kind of a core, one of my core beliefs that, you know, the, 
Pat Riley knows a lot about basketball, and so the, the construction of the Miami Heat, these are parts that work. He may he, He's really going beyond what the analytics would tell them, right? He's constructed a roster, and, and again, he probably not too much, shouldn't give over credit. Some of this is kind of trial and error, but it is a kind of a perfect roster for this world of analytics and that it seems to be um, you know that the insights and the the ability to get complementing pieces something that analytics does not do particularly well has been uh, very well done yeah and Miami has bucked the trends in the NBA in a number of ways uh, analytics is certainly I mean just looking at it maybe there's <laughs> there's some numbers that they've used that have helped them with this I mean that's always uh, an element of decision making in the NBA, but it does seem that Pat Riley's basketball knowledge and, and who who more would you trust to make a decision when it comes mm-hmm. to player personnel than Pat Riley in, in the NBA? But they've bucked that trend. But also, I mean, this team runs a zone defense much of the time, which is quite rare in the NBA, where there's a three second rule in the lane, so you can't have a player in the lane for more than three seconds, and thus a defense like a two three defense. Uh, is especially flawed and in the NBA where, where three-point shooting is so prominent and defenses really have to get out on the wing and, and so it opens up a zone defense a little bit more. So they're doing things differently um, and it's it's working in the same way that maybe the Houston Rockets going all in on the analytics and all in on just shooting threes and, and kind of the, uh, I guess, full-out analytical approach to basketball. Mm-hmm maybe hasn't reaped them the, the rewards of Miami's um, at least hybrid model, maybe just all out pure basketball knowledge <laughs> going so, into their game plans and in their roster management. So you want to make a prediction on the series? Oh, I mean, yeah. If Look, I said from day one, I thought the Lakers were winning it all this year. It was hard to mention them not winning it. I also said I thought Anthony Davis would be the MVP. I'm sticking with the Lakers. I would love to see the Heat do it. I think it's great. Also, from a storyline standpoint, the, they're starting to talk about you know LeBron versus former team in Miami, which this isn't really his former team, and none of those guys are his former teammates. Um, no, but, it, it doesn't feel that way. His former team's Cleveland, I think. Yeah, <laughs> but but they're trying to make that a story. LeBron versus former team. Uh, I guess his former franchise. But how about Pat Riley against the Lakers in, in the NBA Finals? Oh, beautiful. Finals? Yeah. No, I mean, that's... that's you know the NBA is such a star system that in some ways that they can't help but win, right? That they get great. Mm-hmm. There's there's just enough of them that they're going to get great storylines no matter what happens. Yeah, so I'll, I'll take the Lakers in five. I mean, I, I feel like Miami is an NCAA March Madness team that has made the Final Four, mm-hmm. and there's no way they're making it further. Like uh, George Mason is what I'm thinking. Like they they've run their course and. This is their ceiling to me. I'll be shocked if they win the finals. Okay, so I'll reference back to something before your uh, before your birth. There's sometimes it's a Villanova team with Ed Pickney, though. Um, I, I, I'm going to root for the. I, I, I'm not going to pick a team. Well, you know what? I'm going to pick the. I'm going to pick the Heat. I love it. <laughs> I'll, I'll certainly uh, pull for the Heat. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> I, I love an upset, and that would be. I mean, they'll make a movie about that team if, if they were to win this NBA Finals. Well, I mean, in, in some ways, it, there is something there. There's something behind, I think, our our conversation. And and this one's a little tough for me because you know I, I grew I was living in Chicago during the Michael Jordan era, and, and so you know, getting away from the basketball for a second, 
you know, thinking of this as, uh, you know, pure fandom and what you want to see happen, I got to tell you, my inclination is almost always to, you know, root against LeBron James. I don't know why that is exactly versus a Michael Jordan. I always, and like I said, it's, 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 it's related to growing up in Chicago, but God, I think people loved having Jordan be the star, but LeBron has something about him that kind of all, whether it goes back to the decision or sort of just the way yeah. he, he doesn't smile a lot on the court, that he ends up being a guy, almost like a you know the, the bad blonde guy, the, the evil blonde guy in a 1980 John Hughes movie that you're rooting against. Yeah, I... I certainly, uh, I think he, for whatever reason, has been a divisive figure in the league, whereas it seems as though Jordan was one that the majority would watch and, and kind of pull for. Uh, for for me, and I think for a lot of sports fans, it's just the, like, you, you want to see something amazing happen. You want to see something unexpected happen. And the Lakers with LeBron and Anthony Davis winning a championship is just like, well, yeah, I mean, of course that's going to mm-hmm. happen. It's not exciting We've seen it a million times with with these you know mega superstar teams, and like it to me, it'd be more fun to see a lesser team. And I, I think back to when the Dallas Mavericks beat the Miami Heat in the finals, when Dallas had Dirk Nowitzki and uh, Jason Terry as their best two, and, and the Heat had their big three. Um, that was a lot of fun for a lot of basketball fans who who just wanted to see something unexpected happen. And a lot of neutral fans that don't have a player, don't have a team that they root for. Uh, will watch any sporting event and just figure out who's not favored, and that's the team I'm going to pull for. And that's kind of where I'm at with with the Miami Heat. Very fair. Okay, then the other uh, the other postseason that's right around the corner is Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball has 16 teams in the playoffs this year. Yeah, really a departure for that league, and you know the, the history of that league is dominated by an era where. The National League winner played the American League winner in the World Series, and that was the whole deal. The 16 teams in Major League Baseball, in some ways, there's some really great potential storylines. Now, I do think in this chaotic fall sports and political season, it may be a little tough for baseball to get traction with these storylines, but let me let me just read through some of these matchups and some of the teams, and you know feel free to chime in with uh, with thoughts about where this is going. So, in the first uh, in the American League, we've got uh, essentially two foreign teams. We've got the Tampa Bay Rays and the Toronto Blue Jays. Okay, now that might be a little bit unfair, but as a as someone that looks at sports for his sports fandom for their livelihood, Florida is different. And so these are two teams that are almost separate from, uh, you know, the, the standard American teams. On the second matchup, we got the A's versus the number seven White Sox. I saw the fun statistic that this is the White Sox 10th appearance in the postseason since the team was founded in, I think, 1908. Uh, number three, the Twins versus the number six, the Astros. Any feelings about the Astros, Doug? Um, only <laughs> only negative feelings for the Astros. And I think I speak for much of uh, just many sports fans when I say that. 
pre-COVID, I think that was the big one of the big stories going into MLB was the Astros and how much you know were they going to ban the Astros from postseason play? It was even discussed before the season. Yeah, they they may be the sports franchise that benefited most from you know the change in everything, uh, all these changes going on, all these new storylines in 2020 has kind of caused everyone to forget that we forget, hate the yeah. Astros. <laughs> uh, number four. The Cleveland baseball team versus the New York Yankees. Yeah, well, you've got two um, insulting or offensive names here, the Yankees <laughs> and the baseball team. Uh, you know, I'll take it that they're just defensive because they're a New York team. I, I like that. That's a, that's, a, that's a decent policy to go through life with. <laughs> Um, then in, in the in the National League, you got a big market team of the Dodgers versus the Brewers. Um, you've got two kind of, I, I think of them as relatively classy baseball franchises in terms of teams with really nice histories for mid-market teams. Uh, I guess you could say the Braves. Atlanta's a relatively big market these days, and Cincinnati's kind of small. Um, number three, another big market team, the Cubs versus the I don't know. It might be the Miami Marlins. It may be the Florida Marlins. Miami Marlins. And at number and the last matchup is the Padres versus the Cardinals. And I, I tend to think the Cardinals are the best relatively small market fan base in the league. Yeah. So anything uh, sort of pop off the page there? As a Chicago kid, I, I love the idea of a possibility of a White Sox-Cubs World Series. Seems like it's a long shot, but with 16 teams, anything, everything's a long shot. Yeah, White Sox-Cubs seems unlikely with that being a 7 versus 3. No surprise to see the Dodgers uh, as a number one seed. And I think Dodgers fans would be thrilled to see them back in the World Series. Um, Yankees as a 5 seed is, for those that don't keep up with baseball, maybe a little surprising. Um, I know that going into this season, there, there were high expectations for the New York Yankees. And to be honest... Even as a five seed, would not be surprised to see them end up in the World Series like we talked about in our last episode of Fanalytics U. The Yankees historically have a way of, of doing that, of, uh, of, of winning World Series, but also of, of just kind of uh, stumbling their way in there. Well, let me draw a little bit of a contrast between um, Major League Baseball and the NBA. You'll be at the start of the playoffs... I think we probably both would have said, you know, I, I see the Lakers in the finals, maybe the Clippers, um, and they'll probably be playing the, um, the the Bucks, maybe the Celtics. Do you have any sense of anything like that in Major League Baseball? I, I can I, see, I, I can see anything happening. You know, I think the five seed could be in, which is what's happening in basketball, but no one would have predicted that. Whereas in, in baseball, it's just like, yeah, I mean, they could do it. I see yeah. the Braves are a two seed, and I'll be surprised if if the Braves uh, if they make it to, to the World Series. Like I, I would see the five seed Yankees making it over the two seed Braves. I know mm-hmm. they're in, they're in different conferences, but purely based on the fact that that's what the Yankees do, and that's not how Atlanta sports teams function. And we talked about this last week. Sometimes it feels like teams are kind of either cursed or the opposite uh, by their their past and they're kind of married to what they've been and and for and we saw that with the falcons this week in the nfl they've been the team that blows it ever since that super bowl blown lead 
And that's kind of their brand. And every week this year in the NFL, <laughs> they've blown a lead and, and it's just inevitable. But to me, it's almost the opposite with a team like the Yankees. Um, and then the Braves kind of have that same like reputation as, as the, the in-town Falcons. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's dead on, right? And there's like the, it's it's one of the key differences between the between the sports, um, and we we've had some discussion in um, in the Fanalytics U program, the uh, and in some of the the more recent podcasts, like this issue of competitive balance, um, parity. Yeah, and I, I do think there's something, and it, I think it's an open kind of question for the analytics people out there in terms of, you know, what is the right thing? You know, so in the, in the case of the NBA, you always feel like you're getting the premier, the marquee teams and the stars, whereas in something like baseball, and, and again, maybe it has something to do with the randomness of the, the sports, right? Baseball really being a game of of inches and, you know, split-second uh, decisions or, or split-second um you know whether someone is safe at first or not and it it ends up having a, a really kind of interesting effect on how those how those sports tend to work um so the last one today and and this is really what got me thinking the theme of kind of a very wild fall season is that something that is going to be a backdrop for really all of the fall and so as um you know, at least through November, is that we've got a political contest that is about to really heat up. And it's, it sounds a little bit strange to me to say that, given how much attention has already, you know, like it, a political election is the major news story for a year before it goes down, right? You know, we've got the, we've got uh, the, the opposing parties running their debates in the fall before the, the actual election. But I think we are about to go into a political season that is like none other. And, and this is this is relevant to the world of fandom because this is going to soak up a lot of the oxygen in terms of the media. And so we're going to have the baseball playoffs going on, college, and N- college football, NFL football, the NBA finals. While we are getting into the heart of presidential debates and a, you know, in particular, a, an incumbent who is very, um, I, I'm, I'm struggling for my words here, but he is going to interject himself into the larger cultural world, let's say. You know, he, Trump has already interjected himself in terms of college football, um, yeah. really wants to take credit for the Big Ten. And I guess if you get the Big Ten to play, you also get credit for the Pac-10 to to start playing. And so it's also going to explicitly touch the world of sports. So I just want to make a couple of observations, not a lot of analysis to say at this point, but in terms of setting up what makes this political race so interesting with about seven weeks to go before the election. So, you know, point number one one guy is winning in the polls, so Biden is winning in the polls by a lot, seven percent on average. And if you look at individual polls, it's between four and ten percent. And so, you know, if we were looking at uh, power rankings across a league, you might look at things and go, okay, this is this is sort of 
This is sort of wrapped up. This is this is essentially a blowout. A 10% margin or an 8% margin in the popular vote is enormous. Now, of course, we've got some issues with the polls. Um, the nature of the, the way the political process is designed, much like how any league des- is designed, means that the the popular vote doesn't matter directly, right? So we've got this issue of really just a few, maybe 10, 12 battleground states are, are the key, and those those polls are relatively tighter, though even in those, we've got a situation where Biden has pretty significant advantages. Um, now, when we start to look at, the, at those polls, well, and in contrast to the polls, if you look at the betting markets, this is almost a dead-even election, um, where Biden has a, a slight advantage in the betting markets, despite having large advantages in the polls. Huh. And so this, you know, going into this, this is going to be a fascinating thing to watch unfold. And so why is, the, why is there sort of this discrepancy between the betting markets and the polls? Well, number one, there is something in terms of how the polling is done where there seems to be fairly significant oversampling of Democrats. And so if you look at who votes in the last election or in the 2018 election versus what they are polling, it does appear that they are oversampling Democrats. Now, I'm, I'm not going to get into why the pollsters might be making that decision. Frankly, I don't know. But it is a decision that is casting a little bit of doubt on what those polls mean. The second issue with the polls is, of course, that it's become so heated and so much anger on each side that, and look, we live in this world of cancel culture, that there's also this fear that there's a silent majority that will not answer those polls, that will not answer those polls based on what they actually feel. Um, and further elements that make this situation a little bit weird, when the poll leader shows up, when Biden shows up to events, to the rare live event, sometimes you see crowds of tens. Whereas if the guy trailing in the poll has a live event, you see crowds of thousands. So this one ends up being interesting to me in terms of, let's say, the, the basic type of fandom that is in play in this, in this election. So there, there seems to be a real enthusiasm gap where, you know, in the, in the Trump case, his fans, his voters, his likely voters really love him. There seems to be a really great deal of passion. On the Democratic side, I think there's something different going on. And, and look, so you, like to make a sports analogy, and I know people don't like when I do that, but I think it's pretty accurate. Uh, in, in Trump's case... He's got a bunch of fans that love him, right? I mean, so, you know, you're a Georgia Bulldog fan. You're all in for the Georgia Bulldogs. And I think that's what his fans are about. Mm-hmm. On, on the other side, and I think this has something to do with it being primarily a coalition party, um, they seem to basically be united about their hatred for Donald Trump rather than their preference for Joe Biden. That's something that I don't think is accurately reported in or or sort of I don't think that gets enough attention because that means this election is fundamentally different whereas Mm -hmm. in the past they were you know the Democrats were united behind uh, Barack Obama maybe to a lesser extent Hillary Clinton here you've got a bunch of people that really are not united by a whole lot and so they are the the one thing that sets that group off is is Donald Trump, and that has ramifications for how this political campaign is being waged. 
other elements of this campaign that are very strange is the fact that Joe Biden is, in fact, not campaigning a whole lot. Um, It's an interesting world where the poll leader tends to call it a day before noon most of the time. So, but it it makes some sense when you look at how this campaign is unfolding. If this is truly a campaign of Donald Trump versus Donald Trump with Joe Biden being a a placeholder, then it, it may make sense to stay off the field you know, rather than give the the Trump forces or the Trump voters really uh, more motivation to come out, Biden is taking himself away. Um, like I said, the the other thing that's you know coming down the pike, and this is really why I wanted to sort of lay the groundwork for talking about politics going forward, is we've got the first debate this evening. This is also a debate like none other. Um, We've got everything going on from the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, saying that Biden should not show up. Again, this is kind of perfect and goes back to this point of what is this election actually between? Is this a Biden-Trump election or is this Trump versus Trump election? Mm -hmm. Um, Trump has recently come out and said that he wants Biden drug tested before the debate. Let let that one sink in. Okay, uh, so the last thing about the debate is that there's not going to be an audience. And so how is that going to play through in terms of these two very different individuals? In particular, you know, Trump's play has always been to be very aggressive, to get off one-liners, to kind of dominate the conversation. But I think he also, it's very important for Trump that he is as in a position to feed off an audience. So long and short of it, this political uh, this political contest going into 2020 is going to you know sort of fits right in with this 2020 uh, season of fall season of sports chaos in that there are all sorts of different things going on. Yeah, absolutely. I'll say this about this uh, debate coming up. I will be surprised if it's not one of the most watched debates ever. I think for whatever reason, and in 2020, there's this feeling that something crazy is going to happen with with the presidency because crazy things have happened in every other aspect of our lives. And uh, it's two figures that people want to see go at each other. People want to see Trump and Biden head to head. It's I've seen marketing assets that have been reminiscent of sports marketing um, with a kind of a Trump versus Biden head-to-head matchup type feel. And so I think it'll be interesting to see what the viewership's like. While there's not an audience in person, uh, what the audience is like, uh, you know, across the country and across the world. Uh, yeah, so, so I think we are in full agreement that this political campaign really almost fits into the world of sports in terms of the craziness and the storylines that we are likely to see. Okay, so with with that, how do you want to end the show? Who are you looking forward to rooting for this week, Doug? Um, I'll be rooting for the Miami Heat when the NBA Finals start. I'll be certainly rooting for the Georgia Bulldogs against Auburn. Now, I want to say one more thing about college football. Um, this is a little prediction. I think that some of these contenders that had seniors come back instead of going to the NFL, 
to play on a potential championship team. I think when they're eliminated, we're going to start seeing people opting out midseason. I've already seen one at Oklahoma, and uh, I would not be surprised to see that trend continue for some of these top-tier teams that, that lose their shot at a title. So something to keep an eye on as it pertains to COVID and sports. Um, but you asked me what team I'm pulling for. Go dogs. <laughs> I, I have a feeling we're going to hear that a lot this fall. Uh, I think that's a great trend to highlight. It's a trend that has been building over years from when when guys get injured, maybe they don't come back. When teams are not playing in the college football playoff, maybe that's where players shut it down. Uh, with the you know some of the stuff with the G League, similar movements mm-hmm. with uh, with uh, basketball players. I think you are probably dead on that this COVID season has really, this pandemic has really highlighted some of these kind of decisions for a lot of players. And I think you're absolutely right that you're going to see more guys shutting it down, waiting to get paid at the next level. And so I'll end it by saying, go Heat.